Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's eLearning, offering online leadership courseware like AACN's award-winning Fundamental Skills for Nurse Managers, with information available at aacn.org forward slash manager course. Now, here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden. This is Connie Barden, and I'm so glad to be here today to talk with Rebecca Marsh. Rebecca is a clinical nurse educator at Harborview Medical Center at University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. Rebecca, I don't know how you carved out time to talk with me today, but thanks so much for joining. It's nice to be here with you, Connie. I kind of think of this chat we're going to have as leading from wherever you are, but I think something that would set this up nicely, I've looked at your resume and I know a lot about what you've done, but if you just wanted to sort of do a quick summary of your clinical journey, um, sort of like where you started and how you got to what you're doing today, that would be super. I'm sure people would be interested in that. Well, I would love to start by saying that I'm a second career nurse and that I started out studying fine art in Louisville, Kentucky when I was younger. It was um, when I found myself bartending at 30 in Seattle that I went to school to become a nurse for very practical reasons. And I got my BSN from the University of Washington. I think there are so many wonderful nurses who have always known that they should be nurses, but it can make the rest of us feel inadequate sometimes. So I like to say that my family was shocked when they found out that I was going to become a nurse and it wasn't my plan all along, but that I have grown as a nurse and that I'm proud to be a nurse. And it's a big part of who I am today. I have um, spent my entire nursing career at Harborview Medical Center, which is a level one trauma center for four states, as well as the Community Safety Net Hospital and academic teaching facility for the University of Washington. I started in our neuroscience ICU, which is where I worked when I participated in the AACN Clinical Scene Investigator Academy. The CSI Academy is a leadership program where staff nurses are given coaching to lead a practice improvement project on their units. And the CSI Academy has shown that when nurses are given time and resources, they can improve patient outcomes and save hospitals money. A team from my hospital, we did an early mobility project on our neuroscience population. Our medical cardiac ICU at the time was leading our hospital in mobilizing vented patients, but we felt that many of our neuro patients suffering from hemiparesis or requiring ventilation for airway protection as a result of depressed level of consciousness. They needed a mobility program that would focus on meeting them where they were in their recovery process. And I would say customization always matters in quality improvement, especially when you're dealing with specialization and unit culture. For me, the CSI program was not just about that project. It did give me leadership skills, and it began to teach me a little bit of the language that nurse leaders use while keeping my focus on the bedside where I have the most passion. And I've always been able to find my voice, for better or for worse. I'm one of those nurses that tends to speak up. But the CSI program helped me be a little bit more effective in working with leaders to find a solution or to see my failed efforts for what they were. Just another PDSA cycle in the big scheme of things. So 
a year after I completed the Clinical Scene Investigator Academy, I applied for and was promoted to become a clinical nurse educator for the telemetry units at my hospital. We were also um, newly starting our shared governance journey at Harborview. We were a year in. Nurses at my hospital were really grateful for having paid time to pursue quality improvement projects. But after a year of working on projects, many groups were finding that they weren't getting the outcomes that they wanted, and they were finding a lot of frustration with the process. They felt that they didn't have the skills to use the time they'd been given to its fullest capacity. So at that time, I developed a proposal to embed CSI-like concepts into our shared governance bylaws. We built a model for nurses to improve their units with some guidance with some steps to follow. And we now use that as a way to talk about our projects. That framework is a point of conversation for everyone so that we can work together and collaborate. So I'm still a nurse educator today and I'm still advising nurses to pursue practice improvement projects. And it's probably my favorite thing that I do in my work. And I currently also have the great pleasure of serving as one of AACN's current elected board members on the board of directors. And AACN has been so instrumental in my own development. I really appreciate the opportunity to give back to the organization. What a great synopsis from bartender to to a frontline caregiving nurse to clinical nurse educator. Love that. So along the way, you know, a lot of times when I talk to people, I hear them say, well, I went and did my next thing because someone tapped me on the shoulder. But what I'm hearing from you is it was almost your learning in this particular case in the CSI program that let you begin to see your potential. So what did you start to learn about yourself and your leadership qualities that you had that you thought you could have a bigger impact, I would say, now in this uh, nurse educator role? Well, thank you, Connie, for mentioning that no one gets there on their own. I really do think it's uh, key that I didn't find my potential alone. I, just like many nurses, suffer from imposter syndrome. I am sure that I still do and that it's still limiting me in certain ways. So if you're not familiar with it, imposter syndrome is when you don't think you deserve the credit, even though you earned it. It was first observed in women who have been taught to be modest, but it's not limited by gender. And it has been observed in nursing as well. Think about giving your seat to the doctor in times past. And I'm sure that it still exists in nursing because many of my nurse colleague friends will also endorse that they feel it. Beyond just being tapped by people who helped me get over my own imposter syndrome, I think another thing that might be useful to share with the audience is that I am nearly always a little scared or anxious to speak up, that it doesn't come easily. Just because I do it doesn't mean it doesn't stick in my throat a little bit every time I do it. But I also feel the most pride in my nursing career about the times that I spoke up, even when it wasn't completely on track, but maybe generated some conversation. So I think it's really the Girl Scout in me that really is willing to speak up when I see something wrong, even if it's difficult. But I never really initially saw that as leadership potential. It was more about, um, you know, just trying to do the right thing and trying to help and trying to learn. And it really is often for me not understanding why and asking questions because I feel like 
if I don't understand why I can't contribute to the care of my patient. And it's also the important piece of being tapped by people around me. Someone asked me to precept and then they complimented me on it. It was by being tapped, but also by being recognized that I learned that I could teach. And by seeing a nurse that I was precepting have that aha moment that I got the positive feedback that I wanted and it told me to do it more. A patient told my manager that I did some great teaching using the whiteboard and they told my nurse educator who asked me to consider lecturing for her. And I still have that email saved because of the recognition and how that was meaningful to me. But that first lecture was not the best. And I'm naturally, you can't see me, but I'm naturally freckle skinned and I turned the brightest shade of red and I had to be given a chair to sit and finish the lecture. It's not always gone well for me the first time out of the gate, but the educator said I should try again and I believed her. So I did it again. This is such a real and great story, Rebecca. I so love it. I have to tell you, I'm somebody, as you know, who speaks up a lot. I bet in your place, they come and say, here, ask Rebecca, she'll say it. Or they come, Connie, ask them, because they think we're fearless. And I I want to talk about that a little bit. You know, there's a saying, I'm not going to credit it because I'm not sure who said it, that says courage isn't the absence of fear. It's a willingness to take action in the presence of fear. And I think that's what you're describing. So what you're saying is, as you learned and grew, it was okay to be afraid. It was okay to have that sweaty palm thing and even sit down to finish your first talk and you grew and you learned and you did it. But this myth about, well, if I'm afraid, I probably shouldn't do it. I would say almost if somebody's feeling a little afraid and challenged, maybe that's the time to step forward. Yeah. My palms are sweating right now, Connie. So (laughs) it's okay. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about mentoring because, you know, as a nurse educator for years, I was a clinical nurse specialist, very similar roles in the sense that we're not the manager. We're nobody's boss, which is actually what I liked about that role. (laughs) But the other side of that is you need to influence people in a role like clinical nurse educator, but you've got no authority. So that takes a lot of mentoring and influence. So swirl around with that a little bit. I'm sure you've come to learn a lot about how you can mentor, precept, um, you know, encourage, influence people. And what's some of the wisdom that you've gained from all of that? Well, I really do cherish the aspect of my nurse educator role that allows me to be a leader in really close proximity with the staff nurse without being their direct supervisor. And that's probably why I find that this role is the best fit for my skill set. I love working with the nurse to focus on their professional development. I think it's essential to have them know that I believe in upholding the standards, but that I'm not unreasonable and that I have a lot of curiosity about why things don't work the way they're intended. And assuming that they believe this is true of me, I have an opportunity to be a confidant or a peer mentor to the staff nurses and that I also happen to be familiar with the leadership perspective and be able to kind of... um, run interference or be a middle-level messenger to help staff understand why things are happening the way that they're happening. Um, I really believe in the role of the nurse educator to be a professional development specialist for nurses because nurses are my population of interest as a nurse educator. I love to coach nurses to achieve the goal 
that they're considering, it doesn't only fill my bucket, but having a lot of one-on-one -on -one contact with many nurses helps ensure that I'm not obsolete in my efforts to support the profession at large, to help them see their fullest potential. For me, most of the time is being a good peer supporter. I think my clinical knowledge is really important, but that role as a peer supporter is often underappreciated. Makes perfect sense. I definitely have some questions about that, but before we get too far from your journey from the bedside to this role now, let me ask you this. And I'm going to call it out because I think there might be some important points to make. I noticed on your resume that you have a BSN and you're certified as CCRN. And there's sort of a myth around that, oh, if I don't have my master's or even my doctorate, I can't be a this or a that. I can't be on the AACN board. I can't be an educator or unit leader. Do you hear that? Does that swirl around in your head? What are your thoughts about that? I will say that being a BSN trained clinical nurse educator has perhaps limited my roles that I could achieve in the future. And yet, sometimes people will say to me, Rebecca, you have so much potential, why don't you get your master's? But I haven't run out of good work that I've been able to do with my BSN. And there are many reasons why people don't choose to pursue advanced degrees, including financial reasons, time reasons, family reasons. Being a nurse is a significant part of my life, but it's not the only part of my life. I frequently counsel nurses who are coming to me because they're interested in pursuing their master's, that that's the right thing to do. I would never discourage a nurse from learning or growing themselves. But I've also found that it's not the only way to grow yourself and that there will be opportunities to contribute if you speak up. I have only found that opportunities were more open to me because I spoke up. Maybe not all the opportunities, but plenty. I'm still happy where I'm at, and I'm really proud of my BSN, especially considering that I was a second career nurse, and that was a huge step for me. So I just want to encourage everyone where they are in their learning. Love it. Such a balanced view of yeah, sure. Advanced education is a great thing. And wow, can you be a huge contributor no matter where you are? So thanks for uh, thinking through that with me. Going back to your role as nurse educator, what are some things that you think about? Things are not particularly easy right now. You know, um, when you and I are talking right now, we've been in nearly two years of this crazy pandemic and uh, things are not particularly easy. They're not even particularly joyful, that's for sure, at the bedside. So we need to help people with innovation. We need to, people to find joy in their work. What are some of the things that you find are helpful in inspiring nurses, whether getting rid of outdated practices, just seeing joy in the day-to-day -day when things aren't particularly easy? Um, how do you do that? You're a joyful person. So I think that sort of comes naturally, but sometimes that's not enough. There's got to be some other tactics that I'm sure you must use. Well, I haven't felt that much a joyful person in the past few years, so it's hard to connect with that sometimes, and I know that everyone's very tired right now, and even I don't have energy for some of the passion projects that I've been carrying with me for a long time, so I try to take a deep breath and let go a small amount of the nurse guilt that I'm holding on to about what I wish I could get done. 
I think small innovations are happening right now, especially where they're most needed. And it's really essential that we support those innovations to be as robust and evidence-based as possible and remain flexible in the moment. So I think it's giving yourself permission to let go of the bigger projects and focus on the moment with nurses to find what their challenges are, to go to the bedside and see what they're struggling with. Many of my shared governance councils are much smaller than they were a few years ago. Our projects move more slowly. And when we go to select new projects, the majority have been focused on resiliency work and recognition. We've always let our shared governance councils pick their own projects as they should, but prior to the pandemic, there was a push to move them more towards clinical outcomes, and this has shifted. The nurse must come first and be allowed to innovate there at the bedside before we can ask them to move forward. I have thought a lot about the resources that AACN has to offer. I want to suggest that people look at the healthy work environment standards. I think we have to address our staffing crisis and find some post-traumatic growth before nurses can be able to focus on patient outcomes again. But we know that the healthy work environments can help nurses deliver optimal outcomes and deliver the care that they want to deliver. So I think that many of the things that we will need to build our way back to a strong healthcare system are found in the healthy work environment standards. And the Healthy Work Environment Survey is a validated tool that any nurse can launch and compare results with national benchmarks. You know, I think what you're saying is we don't need to sugarcoat things and make them different from what they are. We have to tend to what needs to be tended to right now. And I noticed you talking about this shift in your projects from clinically focused to nurse focused. Hallelujah, because that's what's needed. I've also heard you, Rebecca, mention this concept of joy through intention. Can you explain that? I'm not even sure that I fully get it. What's that all about? Well, I will start by describing a practice that I adopted from a nurse colleague. And it's a big reason that I ask um, nurses in their first year of practice to reflect on where they are at the end of the year, because they can see how much they've grown if they look back over that full year. But once a year, I have an anniversary of sorts, a date when I take time to think about my current role as a nurse, how it fulfills me and what I bring to the table. I think it's important for me to re-examine my own motivations and do a bit of a PDSA for myself. And I've been doing this for about five years and I am finding that it helps me to be intentional. I've also spent some time reflecting on what it is about nursing that brings me joy. Because joy and work is essential if we're going to bring our full selves to work. And actually, I would argue that it's essential to making it worth doing at all. I think about it really as finding my purpose as a leader. What am I hoping to accomplish over the course of my career? For me, the thing that I value most is fostering nurse autonomy at the bedside in clinical bedside nurses. Whatever my role may have been, whether it was preceptor or clinical nurse educator, this has been the thing that has given me the most joy. And having this as a central focus helps me decide whether to take on a new project or not. And I think that this can be related back to the bedside nurse. Um, I really encourage bedside nurses to ask why questions 
and to learn about the thing that they're most curious about, to become a champion of the thing that interests them. My favorite thing about being a nurse is nursing as part of a team and having the knowledge of everyone else at the table available to me. So Rebecca, I hear you talking about the healthy work environment standards and, and how we can actually measure those things and improve them. And one of the things I'm thinking about is it makes me think about units and their culture. You know, people often say all culture is local. And we know that the culture in a ICU is very different from an ER, is very different from an OR, totally different from labor and delivery, et cetera. And a lot of times we hear nurses saying, this ain't the culture I want, but it's the way it is. And it almost sounds a little bit powerless. What do you see around that? And is there any hope when you hear nurses talking in that way? Well, I think the adage that culture eats strategy for breakfast is so true. The hardest thing about the past two years is how it has set us back in healthcare in terms of achieving some of our short-term goals. And I can remember those big projects that I wanted to tackle to improve care in my organization. And they're almost a distant memory now. And sometimes lately, I find it hard to anchor myself as a nurse educator. When we have so many travelers and so much of my role has been building long-term relationships to foster learning in nurses. I don't have all the answers and I've always been honest with staff when that's the case, but I'm exhausted from saying I don't know so often. As a leader, I have felt unprepared for the magnitude of problems that we've faced in the past two years and I am not the leader that I wanted to be. But I do want to intentionally set aside the guilt I have for not being able to be more, to do more, to feel pride for my actions. I deserve that and all nurses deserve that in their own way. I was speaking to some of my new to practice nurses in their first year of practice about where do they get that spark of satisfaction? And was it external or was it internal? They all endorsed that it was external, hence the power of culture. And I asked them how often they get that external positive feedback in a 12-hour shift. And they admitted that it was a rare shift where they left feeling really positive about their work. And I don't think it should be up to us alone to have to build our internal. Um, I mean, I think there's something there. If I can't recognize that I'm doing good work without some external validation, when I sweat inside that plastic gown all day or I wear that mask for 12 hours, I think, please look at the Three Good Things initiative if you haven't yet to recognize yourself. But I think that we have to come together and kind of support each other through this. If we're going to reshape our culture, we're going to need some time to talk to each other because I think the guilt that we carry alone, it's the hardest thing I see in nursing right now because I feel it. I feel the guilt myself and I see it in my colleagues. And when I look at them, I see nothing to be guilty about. The culture, I think those who want to cheer it forward are well-intentioned. We have to give nurses time to to deal with what's happened. Absolutely. And not step over it. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. 
Let me ask you one more question. Thank you for mentioning new nurses. I was going to ask you about that, but I'll move to my wrap-up question, which really is about this whole thing that we've been through. And also want to talk about leaders. People sometimes forget that this is hard for leaders too. And leaders themselves can actually develop compassion fatigue, just like any other nurse or individual. What do you know about that? Does this ever show up as an educator? And um, how do you and other leaders deal with that? I do a lot of teaching around compassion fatigue right now because I think it's relevant to the nurses that I work with. When I look at that spectrum between burnout and compassion fatigue, it's the caring that impacts it. When I think about my role as a nurse educator or as a nurse leader, and I've already said that I believe that my population of interest is nurses, and yet I am a nurse myself. So when nurses are hurting, I am hurting. I have felt in the past two years that my own professional existence was on the line. And I haven't been able to maintain professional distance from the problems that exist because I am a nurse. And I care about the nurses that I support. And I'm one of them. So I have felt compassion fatigue because nurses are hurting right now. And I'm hurting right now. I've lost my cool during the past year. I don't love the leader that the pandemic has made me. And if I'm not careful, I can dip into regret. Even though I have done my best, I think we all need peer support, especially leaders. You may be a little more isolated as a leader on your unit, but I hope that you're connecting with other leaders around you. Peer support is a special kind of mentorship because it comes from someone who knows what your role is like and who can listen without solving anything. It's my peers who've been able to remind me that I did lose my cool, but that I've done plenty to be proud of and that I'm forgiven and should forgive myself. So yeah, I think compassion fatigue, I'm really hoping that we have transformed something in nursing to address this where we never have before. You know, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat and to be so authentic and courageous. And I heard you say, I don't love the leader that the pandemic has made me. And what I would say to you is, I think probably what that means, because I know you as a leader, is you don't love the leader the pandemic has made you at times, because you are a magnificent leader. If I was to summarize you, Rebecca Marsh, I would say here is an amazing nurse leader with her BSN, leading and making a difference through courage. By being joyful, even in the midst of times that aren't joyful, by helping people to speak up and access their power, helping people learn to be intentional, reflect, and find joy even in those times when it looks like joy isn't present, and reminding us all of the power of human beings, taking care of human beings, and the culture we can create together. So thank you. Thank you, Rebecca, for spending your time with us today. It has been a joy. It's always wonderful to spend time with you, Connie. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN's award-winning Fundamental Skills for Nurse Managers, with information available at aacn.org forward slash manager course. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.